0: That was probably the most fun offering we've ever had. Wow. That's awesome. Um, My name's Matt, and uh, we are doing Outside Church Inside today, um, thanks to the Lord's creation, so we can't complain. Uh, If you're just joining us, this is not normal, and if you're bummed about that, tell us and we'll change it. Not true. Um, But uh, it's awesome having everyone... All in this room together, and and it seems like a lot of new faces in a lot of ways, or maybe it's just that like normally that half of the room sits over there and weird stuff, and they just got weirded out by their chairs not being there, and so they're like, oh, they're back there. What do I do? So um, today's going to be a little different, Um, and especially with kiddos in here, uh, I know that that's mostly different for you parents, because normally you get to hand them off and have like maybe an hour or so of freedom. Um, but you don't, sorry. Um, so, but during, uh, the message at any point, um, you can, the kids can still come up if they want to work on the missionary kind of booklet things. Um, that's totally fine. And if they're crying or screaming, uh, it's not, yeah, yeah, we love having them in here with us. That's totally fine. Um, because we want to be a place where families can be together and this is for the whole family. Um, Now, with that, uh, church sometimes, as maybe some of us experienced this morning, can be kind of messy, right? Church um, can be something that doesn't always go according to the plan or according to the structure, Uh, that life in and of itself is something that can be messy and not always go according to plan. And so this morning, we experienced a lot of that, um, and it's good, right? Because in the midst of Things not going according to plan, like the Lord's overarching plan for us and for what He wants us to step into, it doesn't deviate and it doesn't change its course. It may not go exactly how we think it was going to go, um, but that's the God that we have that's good to take care of us in whatever circumstance. Um, that He doesn't necessarily will it to rain so that we come inside, but as it rains and we come inside, God says, "Yep, I'm still good and I'm still on the throne." and Let's actually get to the heart of what this is all about. And so as we look at a passage about deacons this morning, woohoo! Um, we'll need a lot of that. <laughs> um, and and yeah, I wish that this was something that was like more for kids as well. And maybe your kids are future deacons and we're planting the seed early. So um, we've been going through Timothy, 1 Timothy. We're in chapter 3 right now. Two weeks ago. Gary shared with us uh, about the qualifications for elders. And so now we're diving into the next passage. And you're going to see a lot of like mirror, um, mirror words even that Paul uses as he talks about the qualifications for, for deacons as well. Uh, so I'm going to read the first little section that we're going to dive into. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good under, good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Would you guys pray with me? God, it, you always embrace the mess. And Lord, that us just having to switch from the lawn to inside really isn't that messy. Um, Yet, yeah, God, all of us come in with our own disorganized or um, dysfunctional things of life that we didn't see coming and that weren't a part of the plan. And that yet you're not surprised by any of it, Jesus. Um, Yet you still are the God that weeps with us in loss. And you're the God that is with us in in all circumstances. Um, Not the God that says you should have known, but that I am with you. And so, Jesus, would we come before you this morning with hearts that are open, hearts that want to see, like we sang earlier, um, what you're doing and what you're about in our lives, in our friends' lives, and in this community. And God, you hold all things together. Uh, Church service doesn't. So, Lord, would we trust you to... Have this time come together in the way that you say that it's best, and I know I need that from you, Holy Spirit, to speak through me in a right way um, without pride but in humility, so Lord, would you help me in that your name, Amen, all right, so, as I looked at this passage, I could totally break down like each qualification like step by step don't like wine, and I could talk to you all about the reasons of why you shouldn't get drunk on too much wine and yada yada yada, and everyone would love it. Um, but we kind of heard that two weeks ago, uh, and so I, I didn't think, like, it mostly made sense to, to kind of break down some of those things all over again. If you want to hear that, you can go back online, we do have technology, it's crazy, and listen to that sermon, and then you're like, oh, so when they said, don't drink too much for the elders and the deacons, now it makes sense. Um, if you, if you need to do that, that's totally awesome, and that's why we have it there, um. So this morning, though, I kind of wanted to just first ask the question, uh, what is a deacon? And what does it mean to be a deacon? Um, The word that we get uh, in in Greek is diakonos, I believe. Probably butchered that, but was close, hopefully. Uh, And the meaning is either a messenger or um, better known as a servant. So in and of itself, the word deacon, the title deacon, is to be a servant to the church. And automatically that could like like stir some things up in us of like, whoa, that's a big responsibility. Or what would it look like to serve the church? Or just to have that as your very title, like, man, like, are they ever going to mess up in any way? Or what would, how would it look like to, to step into church every Sunday as that servant or have that be your role? And it may seem like, without getting into what that responsibility is, because we don't know yet, um, that could be a huge responsibility. And even as I heard that, I was like, wow, that is a, like, to hear elder, you're like, well, you just have to be old. Um, and then to hear deacon, um, you're like, servant, wow. I'm sure in the Greek it doesn't just mean old. Uh, but that sounds like a huge responsibility until we remember that as Christians, like that is in our very title as well. That all of us who profess to follow Jesus, to serve him, and to seek him day after day, like he's the one that set the standard that all his followers were to have in their title to be a servant. And we get this from Mark chapter 10. Uh, In the story, some of um, Jesus' disciples approach him and uh, are like, hey, so we want to know in your kingdom who's going to sit on your right and who's going to sit on your left. Um, And Jesus Jesus answers them the best way that anyone could answer them, and later on in the passage uh, gets into this in verse forty two So Jesus called them together and said, "You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a, ser- a servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else, for even the Son of Man came not to be served." but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, with his own coming, like with his own life here on earth, showed us that even though he's this king, even though he's this Lord of all lords, and the one that everyone should follow, he didn't come as a dictator or a tyrant to put people under his feet, but he came as the one that actually washed his disciples' feet, that he was going to show that he would be a servant to all, And by doing so, he was adding to this this statement here of, it's going to be different with you. It's going to be different with those who follow me. It's going to be in your very makeup, your very identity, that you're a servant. So before we even talk about deacons whatsoever, we all have to look at ourselves as we seek to follow Jesus and say, Lord, I, somebody who steps into situations, and I have the identity of a servant, of someone who is looking to to those who are weaker than I am, who are in a more broken place, um, whatever that may look like, usually circumstantially. Am I looking um, to others' needs, not my own? And I think that's one of the hardest things for us to do well in community and in fellowship and maybe in church. That when we even step into this building on Sundays, are we going in? um, This was me, honestly, both on Sundays and Wednesdays when I was in high school. Do I go in saying, with youth group, we don't play games here very much, uh, man, I hope it's an awesome game. Man, I hope they choose the best songs um, that I want to sing so I can connect with the Lord. Man, I want a message that impacts my heart so that I can walk away changed um, and encouraged and filled up. Um, Man, I hope people acknowledge me when I'm here um, at night or this morning. And, And not that those are necessarily bad things to want. Those are all good things. But I think what Jesus says is so different and changes it for us is that it's not about us, right? When we walk into the building, when we walk into a space with other believers, Jesus says, it's about me. And then it's about everybody else that you see. What can you do to add to their faith? What can you do to show them my love? What can you do to bring them deeper in to what it means to follow me? And I think we get that so twisted as we follow Jesus, especially in community, because we can pick apart all the things we don't like. What's harder to do is not to pick apart those things and instead seek to encourage and lift up somebody else, to set aside our own agenda and say that your agenda, your life, matters more than my own. So a deacon, to bring it back around, is a servant, and in that way, and somebody that the church leadership has acknowledged and said, this person has shown the character of the servant in the church, and so we want others to know that this person is here as a servant to you. And that they, and, and whether it's in one capacity or, or another, um, it's not a grandiose title, but yet it's at the very core of what Jesus wants us to all be about. Um, in verse 13 of what we just read, it says, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus Uh I, I I'm guessing that for any of us who choose to serve, like we gain more confidence in Christ Jesus because our confidence has to be in him. The hope for a servant, especially back in this day, was not much at all. Like until Jesus came on the scene that said, here there's no Greek, there's no Scythian, there's no slave, there's no free, but Christ is all and in all. Um, That that as as servants, we have to rely on Jesus as our hope and, and, and our foundation because otherwise we're always pouring out with nothing in return. But Jesus flips that on its head when he says, I'm pouring everything that I have into you, and I've already done that so that you can pour out. But you always have to come back to me for more. So to address maybe... The elephant in the room, for those of you who have been here at Harvest for a time or are brand new, we don't have deacons. (laughs) And so you're like, how would a deacon serve then? So if you want to with me, flip over to Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Acts is always known as a section of scripture that really focuses on after Jesus has ascended up back into heaven, focusing on the early church. So in chapter six, we're going to see how the early church um, handled some problems that were going on. Um, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor. I'm sorry, Nicanor, that's a terrible name. And uh, Timon and... Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte um, proselyte of Antioch, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith in ministry, um, now that I've been serving with uh, youth group and young life uh, for a number of years. Uh, there's the mission that's at hand, right? We want students to come to know, walk with Jesus, um, and, and continue to love him more and more. Uh, we usually ask them to silence their cell phones too, but just kidding, not. Um, <laughs> I figured it was Sherry's, Um Makes sense. Um, yeah, we can give her a hand. Um, so in ministry, you have your the mission that's set before you at hand uh, of what your main goal and main focus is, and in the midst of that, other needs arise, right? Um, other things come up that sometimes those that are serving, they notice it right away and they're like, oh my gosh, like I didn't even think about how this student is more geared towards wanting to go on missions, but we have nothing like right now that would be able to help them grow up in that. Um, so we need to start focusing on that in a different way or this student's involved with this club and has this awesome, like ministry opportunity. How can we support them in what they do? And then there's parents. Um, who they love to make known the needs that we need to focus on in ministry as well. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Oh, that was quiet. (laughs) Um, (laughs) A lot of the time, never here, but always with Young Life, um, we have uh, have people that like to add to what our ministry should be about. And a lot of the time, that's super helpful, right, for us to... to see things that we're not thinking about that we're like, oh, we didn't even know that we should um, have more of a focus in this direction. So ministry, no matter what, whether it's we notice it or other people outside of the the close-knit group notice it, ministry continues to expand um, past usually what you first envisioned it to be. And we see that happening here in Acts, that these apostles, the 12 dudes that were following Jesus, including Matthias who replaced Judas, uh they're going out and they're preaching the word and they're praying um and, and they're they're helping people to come into the truth of the gospel, and then all of a sudden the hellenists um oh man, there's a bad joke there,' not going to do it, kids um so uh the hellenists they're like, hey, you're not taking care um, of our widows uh and and they're they need food and and so apostles, we want you to be the ones to set the tables to serve them because you're the leaders in our community like this is your responsibility you're the ones building up this church and so they're torn they're not just like oh that's servant work cuz right hopefully in that moment they would remember what Jesus told them and they'd be like okay we're to be a servant to all but are we supposed to be the ones that serve in this way and so then an awesome thing takes place where these 12 apostles they end up delegating They end up giving away some of the ministry to seven other men um, who not are just anybody that walks through the door. But it says that these men are full of the spirit, that they're honorable men. And they give this portion of the ministry away and and they they send them in it too. They pray for them and say, you guys are going to be the ones that take care of the widows and of the orphans. And this will be a way that you add to your ministry too. Uh, Giving stuff away is so good. Um, and so needed because those 12 guys couldn't do it on their own. When I first started leading for young life and was the team leader, uh, I was really good at with my team saying like, let me do everything and you guys just be with students. And I thought that that was my role as a team leader, that I lead all the games, that I lead the songs, that I share the gospel at the end of the night, all that kind of stuff. And what I didn't realize I was doing, I was heading really quick towards burnout and not only that, because that would just focus on me, but I wasn't inviting the leaders on my team into a deeper role in ministry for them to own something in a way that they never had before. Uh, and as we're in ministry, as we're in church, we're always and should always be about giving things away and inviting people, people in deeper. Uh, because if it's just Gary owning everything, he's going to burn out and so will we in turn. And so this is kind of what what scholars think is like the first kind of appointing of deacons that took place, even though they didn't first call them deacons uh, there. So uh, I, I did hit up one of my friends who's at another church um, and asked them, they do have deacons in place, and I was like, what are some of the things that uh, that your deacons do at your church? This is a church in Portland, and he said they coordinate our yearly Thanksgiving food box outreach to the community. They oversee our ushers. They oversee our well-being outreach, which is a monthly meal to those with HIV and AIDS, um, they're the ones that count the offering. Uh, they oversee the partnership with OM India and help raise funds um, for projects among the poor. Uh, they help raise various uh, or they help organize various events at their church, uh, staff appreciation dinners, fundraising events. They assist the elders with various needs that come up related to their Sunday service. So their elders, uh, this is a church where they don't have a head pastor, but it's a team of pastors. Um, they're able to do what they feel called to do more and more because they're able to give away some of the logistical things of their church to other people who can step into it and own it in a totally different way uh, than they can. And so based off last week, if you weren't with us, um, we got to talk about women in the church and ladies are still here. So that's a good sign. Uh, and, and Timothy uh, or Paul brings up to Timothy this question. Um, couple passages back of women in the church so it was made clear that women were not to be elders so in this next thing of deacons it's not necessarily full-on right when we read it clear like could women be deacons in this role um and as i did minimal research to be honest uh Churches and scholars can often be divided, like, on this question. Some people uh, say yes, and others um, say no, and they use different reasons to back that up and to emphasize whatever their stance may be. Just some things that I noticed as I read is, if we look back at what Paul says about the elders, he keeps referring to the elders as he, like, over and over again in the qualifications. I'm not there anymore. Um, If you want to flip back to Timothy to see it, you totally can because that's what I'm doing. Uh, So for the elders, it says um, he must manage his own household. Um, He must not be a recent convert. He must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into into disgrace or into the snare of the devil. Where then in the next section of Deacons, it says... uh, they must hold the mystery of faith. Um, then let them serve as deacons. Um, let deacons. Uh, it does say, let the deacons each be the husband of one wife. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves. Uh, it doesn't make the gender difference. Um, uh, Difference much uh, often, except in talking about marriage, in these two passages. And then, as I looked into it a little further, uh, the word that when it brings up wives in this passage of deacons um, in the Greek also is often translated as women, too. Uh, So, in essence, and you may even have like a little asterisk or something next to the word wives in your Bible, and then if you look at the notes below, it will say, or um, women deacons or deaconesses. Um, and, And so, where the passage is saying, so deacons and their wives who are most likely supporting them in ministry as well, and then also women deacons um, in the midst of that. And then the biggest thing that I found for people that said, yes, women should be able to be de- deacons, is in Romans 16, verse 1, uh, where Paul is writing a letter, um, and, and he talks about this woman, Phoebe. Uh, and he said, he commends Phoebe as a servant, or the other word for it, deacon of the church at Centrea. Uh, commanding the men uh, who are most likely reading that letter to, um, to welcome her and serve her in whatever she may need. In um, other times, there's a lot of integral women in, in the church that Paul writes to and, and commends for their work and for their ministry. And so from all these different things, personally, what I think and what I believe is Paul has made it okay, and has said this is good for women to step into the leadership role of deacons in the church. You can totally disagree with me. Um, If you want to talk to me about it, that's okay. I'm not a Bible scholar, so I'll probably go, okay. Um, (laughs) uh, But from what I've found, um, and and from talking to other pastors that I trust, uh, and from where I believe that we land more as Harvest as well, um, that Paul makes it accessible for women to be in this area of leadership, in the church. So, this whole deacon thing sounds pretty good, um, but why don't we have them here at Harvest, right? And, uh, I don't have all the answers for that. I wish I did, but I don't. Um, but, as a staff, as we read this passage, it brought up the question, why don't we have deacons here at Harvest? Um, so I'm just going to start calling out names in your deacons. Just kidding. One person got it in the room. Thank you, Karina. <laughs> You're the first deacon. Um, <laughs> um, so maybe at a harvest near you in the future, we will be seeing some deacons come into place. Because that's always what we're supposed to be as we approach scripture, right? That we're supposed to see what the Word says, see how how God instructs us us through people and through His Word, and we're supposed to respond to it. We're not just supposed to say, like, no, actually what we've been doing is really good. I don't think we need to challenge ourselves with anything new. Thanks, Paul. No, we're to look at ourselves. It's supposed to be a mirror and say, for our church, is this something that would bring about more life and bring about more leadership and bring about more things of God's spirit and good works for us to be more um, proactive and more in the community than we are already? You two crying. You can be deacons too. Um, We need the sensitive ones. Uh, So maybe that's something that will change, and maybe it's not. Um, I'm not sure. I don't get to make that call, thankfully. Uh, but why is Paul so concerned about elders and deacons and the leadership of the church? Well, like I talked about earlier, church can be messy. And we see that if we read Acts. Sometimes that's the idealistic kind of like, this would be awesome. Like people just living together, sharing a meal together, like always like in the temple courts and giving to whoever had need. And those are all still good things that carried on in the church going forward. But there was a lot of like them just being in their little huddle, too. And there was a lot of like, well, who's the teacher and who's supposed to speak? Well, I think I should speak and I'll speak out over the top of you and all those kind of things that are going on as well. And so what Paul is doing is bringing structure um, to the church where it doesn't he doesn't give us a step-by-step process of every Sunday you should first have welcome and announcements and then sing a song that is going to get people engaged with worship and then a song that's more going to impact their hearts after that. No, he doesn't give us like the plan of what our assembly together should be, but he makes it known that it's so important to have leadership in the church and not just the head pastor, not even just the elders, but others that step into these serving roles as well. And at Harvest, I can say we have a lot of people that serve here super well without being a deacon, without having that title. And that honestly, we could just slap deacon over the top of your name and you would fit the bill like perfectly. And so thank you for those of you that don't get any recognition um for how you're serving, that don't haven't stepped into any title role, but say, you know what? Whether I ever get noticed for this or not, it's not about that. It's about serving God's people and God's kingdom. And we have Many people here that do that on a week-to-week basis. All right, I'm going to try and wrap up quickly. Um, so, verses 14 through 16, a little interesting passage in First Timothy. Here we go. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Bust a rhyme, Paul. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Anytime we approach Scripture, we have to ask, what is the author's intent to who they're writing to? Because before, um, honestly, like whoever the author was, Paul in this, he was writing to the church church, in Ephesus. He was writing to Timothy to carry that out. And yes, is this the scripture of the Lord that tells us all the truth that there is to know about God? And is this God's word totally? Is this what God wants for Harvest Church with leadership? Yes. Um, and we still have to take into consideration the manness of Scripture as well, that this was written by a man with an intent to an audience um, for them to understand something. And so whenever we approach a passage of Scripture, we have to say, what was the author's intent in giving us this passage of Scripture? And what's awesome here is Paul does some spoilers and tells us like straight up why he's writing us this. Um, he says, so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, that He said, "This is so that you guys know how to be in assembly together." I don't; it shouldn't be about chaos. Well, being organic is awesome, um, and it's really trendy right now uh, to be organic. Like, and that's honestly how I'm bent more. I'd rather things just work out as some crazy amoeba kind of thing. Um, but like, people are messy. Church is messy, and so we gotta have some structure. And Paul's heart is for that to take place. Uh, and, and so I'm totally ripping off this next little section um, from a church. I, I listened to a sermon there in Portland called The Well. And, and and the guy CJ there as he was preaching, he he pulled out something that I just totally didn't see um, in this passage, that Paul gives us three things as the church that we are supposed to be and that we're supposed to represent and that is supposed to be the very makeup of, of who churches are as God's people. Uh, So the first one we see is to behave in the household of God. When we think of household, we think family. And when we are God's family, when we are God's household, that is the idea of family is to take care of one another. The idea of a family is what we have in here that some of us are crying and some of us are smiling and some of us are asleep, but we take care of each other no matter where we're at, no matter the circumstances, Uh, that we look after one another, that we invite each other in to relationship, uh, that we rejoice and mourn together like family. And then it describes the church as the church of the living God. The reason that we do what we do here at Harvest, the reason that the church itself exists, is that we follow a living God. We don't just follow a set of beliefs. We don't follow tradition. We don't just get together so that we have more friends on Sundays. We don't just worship to feel better about ourselves. But we believe and we know and we trust that our God is alive and is on the move and that his kingdom is coming through our time together and going out from this place into Camus and into the world. That this isn't about our own agendas. This is following a God who is still living and active and calls us deeper still into following him and trusting him. And that the hope of the nations comes through his church. Like, we are to be the hope. Like, we sing that song that I always break my guitar strings on. Um, oh, gosh. Well, build your kingdom here. Um, you are the hope on earth, right? Like, Jesus has said that it is good for us to go out into the world declaring the hope and the good news of the gospel, which leads us to the last one. It describes us, and I don't know if this is, I should take offense to it, as a pillar and buttress of truth, um, Maybe buttress isn't a word that you use in your everyday dialect. Maybe you should start because it's fun to say. And let's be honest, it has butt in it. Um, so, uh, but what is a buttress? Why would Paul use such foul language? Um so a buttress, especially back in that day, was a support to building structures. As I looked at pictures of it, as these kind of old cathedral-like buildings, uh, they were really not attractive things whatsoever. But they're this big, like beams that went as supports to the whole structure itself to keep um, that building standing. Uh, or that's why it says a pillar and a buttress. Um, or sometimes it's translated to foundation as well—a foundation of the truth. They, us as the church here at Harvest and in Camus that we are to be a pillar of truth, to be a foundation of truth. That people in our community know that this is a place where truth is made known, um, that we are people about, of, of honesty, people uh, who, who have been set free by the truth as well. And even sometimes when people step into this building or hang out with us, there should be something different Because we walk in the truth. So how do we stack up with those things here at Harvest? Are we we all three of those things? I think that we're, man, out of all the things that we're about, I think family is something, I mean, a lot of churches wouldn't do this, right? Family is something that that we're good at and and that we've grown in um, and that we embody the picture of Christ's household really well. Yet, We still have to look at ourselves and say, how do I need to grow in this, Lord? Like, who else do I need to have eyes for? What would it look like to truly invite people deeper to be my family, to be my brother, to be my sister in Christ? As far as the Church of the Living God, like, is this just a place that you show up because you know you're supposed to, or do you expect God to be at work? Do you go out from this place knowing that you're following the Living God out of it as well? And that in this time and in this space and in this place, God could do whatever God wants to do, and it's the best. No matter if it doesn't go with our plans, no matter if it doesn't go with our agenda, whatever he wants to do in our hearts is always the best thing. And are we a pillar of truth in this community? And sometimes we get different ideas of what truth looks like. We think that truth is just telling people what they're doing wrong and how they're not following Jesus. But truth is actually holding on to what's good and making what's good and what's right and what's holy, making godliness the pillar of who we are so that we look different in our community than anybody else and that we invite people, that people are drawn or completely repulsed by our difference. And do people feel set free, as John 8.32 says, that the truth will set us free when they're in this place, when they're with God's people? So what's the take-home of this? Well, just being really honest with you, we need more leaders here at Harvest. We need more elders. We need more staff people. We need deacons. We need people that own ministry in big ways because this is so much bigger than me. This is so much bigger than Greg and Gary and Sherry and even bigger than Alyssa. This is a big thing that God has invited us into. And we need more people to say, I'm all in. And we don't know exactly how that will look or what that will look like right now. Man, I know as I talk with you and know some of you, there are leaders in our midst, in this place, and we need you to step up. When I first got involved with Harvest, I had no idea what I was getting into. I thought I was coming on you staff as a volunteer leader, right? I never would have thought God would have me up here in front of you sharing what he's put on my heart, sharing the truth of his word. I never thought I'd had co- some of the conversations with students and adults alike that God would invite me into. And I wouldn't have chosen it for myself either because it's way scarier and way bigger than I could have ever been on my own. And that's the beauty of it. That as we step into deeper still, I, I got to hear Francis Chan once, um, and it was awesome. He, he shared this picture of when Peter steps out of the boat and takes that step of faith to follow Jesus, to fix his eyes on Jesus, he was like, what if Peter just kept walking so that he couldn't even see the boat anymore? Like how deeply, how intensely do we want to follow Jesus that we don't hang on to what we used to know, but we're completely and radically changed as we continue to follow Jesus deeper still? And that has been my experience and I'm excited for what else, because I know that my life could go any direction at any point, and that if God says it's good, that I should go. And in the community we live in, that's so different. In Camus, you're supposed to have your plan, that you follow your kids, and you support them in whatever they do, and then once they graduate and go off to college, then it's like, what do we do? Retire? Okay, cool. That's not for every single person. But as I've worked with the youth, like, their lives are planned out for them, too. Every practice, every day, every homework assignment, every day. And so often it's so hard for them to follow Jesus because they don't feel like they have space in their lives to just say, I'm going to go deeper still with you, Jesus, and go against the grain of what's normal. A church's mission isn't as big as its pastor's vision. Its mission is as big as its church's vision. We're a body of many members, but all are needed and none are more important than the other. That while you're in the crowd listening right now, man, you are just as as important as I am, or as Greg leading a song, or as Gary. Man, and at times I feel like it's more so because it's like, I can't do this. (laughs) I can't do this on my own. I need people. And even if you don't feel like you're needed, you, you are. Whether it's the, the little kids in the room, their harvest would be so different if we didn't have any kids here. Just think about all that they add. Even as we get to hear their squeals and screams and cries right now, all that adds, I'd way rather take that over a completely silent room. Because all parts are needed. You are needed here. And we forget that this letter that was written, um, to this church. They were the church of Ephesus. So implying that they were probably the only church or the main church in Ephesus. So that as things got messy, as things got hard, as the church struggled, people didn't just get to go walk down the block and go to the next church that they wanted to go to. That they had to be all in where they were at or they were done. Like it was done. But yet we live in a culture where we can walk down the block We can drive five minutes and we've got seven more options of where we could be at with people. When Paul wrote this, he intended that we're going to need everyone for this. So step in, step up, and dive into what God has for us. Because I need it. and I need you guys to do it with me too. Or I'm going to burn out and I'm going to fail. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. And how you love us. Lord, thank you for these kids that were able to be here with us this morning. And and Lord, while I joked about it earlier, would you be planting seeds, even through this message in their hearts, through your spirit, of, to be leaders in this church? Lord, thank you for the kids and youth group that are here, um, and the leaders that they are, and how you've grown each of them. Thank you for our college students. Lord, and and while they're in this weird transitional time of they don't know where they belong, would you continue to show them how you invite them deeper too, no matter what demographic they're in. Thank you for our parents. Thank you for our grandparents. God, and that we need their wisdom. We need to learn from their mistakes. We need to see the sweetness of their relationship with you. God, would you use all of us to lift one another up, to encourage each other to love and good deeds. Would our vision for what you could do through us in Camas be unbelievable that it takes you in order for it to happen? Would we not have small eyes for our community and our faith? And would we follow you, the living God? In your name, amen. So we're going to need everybody to help.